come on a journey with a cinephile. Listeners to Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. I am your host, uh, David Garrett Jr. Um, you might have heard me um, on different podcasts like uh, T Puts. I'm usually sending in stuff every month for the movie club, and I also was the one sending in the information for the People's Council, uh, the picks that we had made from that. Um, and I've also guested on. Um, Horror Haven podcast as well in the past. Um, this is something that I kind of decided to do as I've been kicking the tires on possibly doing something like this, and I've had some encouragement some, from some of my favorite podcasters, and I finally decided to stop making excuses and just go for it and just see where this ends up taking me. Um, just a little bit of background about myself is I currently live in Columbus, Ohio. I actually went to Ohio State um, down here for film studies in English. Now the career that I currently have doesn't have anything to do with that, so um, if you kind of know a little bit about me outside of that, um, I actually do written reviews for a blog that I have dubbed um, Reviews of the Dead. But I kind of decided that I wanted to do a podcast like this so I could go a little bit more in depth into kind of some of the films that I saw and it's kind of an easier venue for people to kind of check out and decide if they want to hear spoilers or if they kind of want to check out the movie that I have recommended there. Now kind of my history with the horror genre is uh, my father was a collector of VHS's and he really loves the zombie subgenre. So my sister and I kind of grew up on films like that. Um, now, I mean, he actually watched Night of the Living Dead as a kid, and it completely changed his life. So that kind of explains the path that he went down. And my mom also really enjoys horror to an extent. Because um, she's actually one, as a kid, that she showed me some of the more classics, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, The Exorcist, and Psycho, which are some of the ones that I can remember just offhand. Now, kind of going off of what they have showed me... Um, I'm a big fan of the Dead trilogy with Dawn of the Dead, the original, being my favorite um, horror film of all time. I also kind of grew up on Return of the Living Dead as well, which kind of at the time was revolutionary for me because I didn't realize you could combine comedy and horror that well. Um, I kind of actually, I feel like I should point out that some might consider me to be a little bit pretentious in my love of horror um, because I'm a big fan of things like Rosemary's Baby, um, I really liked Hereditary, um, Raw was another one that I thought there was a lot of substance to it, going farther than just what we're seeing on the screen. 
And I'd actually also say another one that kind of changed my life when I saw it was um, Suspiria, which made me go down the path of checking out pretty much all of Dario Argento's uh, filmography, which in turn kind of got me into the more Italian horror as well. And then I would say that my plan for this podcast is actually going to be is I think I'm going to select a film that'll be the feature review each week. And then before that, though, I'll kind of just go through the different horror movies that I've watched, um, you know, kind of where I saw them, um, just some of my more just like initial thoughts on it, kind of just little mini reviews and kind of give my rating on it. And then as I was saying for the feature reviews, what I'll go ahead and do is kind of do a little bit more in-depth. I'll try to keep that between spoiler and non-spoiler as well, Um, just so that way you can kind of get an idea of what I thought about it and then if there's any deeper issues that I want to delve into I have that as well and I mean I guess I should point out that I have some movie challenges that I do for myself every year and one of them is to watch um, at least 52 new horror movies Uh, but I am actually a member at uh, the Gateway Film Center here in Columbus which actually they are a nonprofit, so they actually do a lot of independent and foreign horror movies. Um, so it kind of makes it a little bit easier that I get to see some of these ones that before they hit VOD or right when they hit VOD, I get to actually check them out, um, you know, on the big screen. Um, so that's something else that I kind of want to, since I have that membership there, I can take advantage of to kind of give some different content on here as well. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is. Take us into a musical break, and then I will go over um, just kind of the things that I've watched for this week. And welcome back. Uh, the first film that I'm going to be reviewing um, for this is going to be um, one that I got a screener sent to me from the writer and director uh, Bo Yachty. He also as well stars in this film along with Haley uh, Varana and Jessica Y. Martin. Uh, but the movie is Desert Wolf, which currently is sitting at a 9.2 on IMDb. 
Um, the synopsis is a series of gruesome murders occur in the small town of Junction City, Arizona. Uh, they each have one thing in common. The carnage takes place under a full moon. Um, this is a little interesting uh, low-budget effort that blends the Wolfman from the 40s with Wolf from the 90s. I actually kind of really dug some of the things they did. Uh, they really do a good job with the lore of the werewolf. And I actually like for this one is they actually kind of incorporate more of the Native American um, concept of skinwalkers where they, in this kind of case, actually don't necessarily change into other things, but they do become a wolfman creature. Which I would say the actual effects for the budget aren't all that bad. Um, I mean, they look a lot like Wolf, where they have you know long sideburns, um, and I do think the effects they do with the eyes look really good. I will say that the best performance in the movie for me would have had to be Bo um, as the sheriff, G.W. Garrett. Um, I would say the second best performance though is a character, Kai Benelli, um, that is played by Elizabeth Broder. Now, when you get some of these type of films, though, uh, some of the performances, though, in the background aren't all that great and can be a little bit wooden. Um, I'm not going to harp too much on that, though, just because kind of the type of film that this is. And I will also kind of point out that the rating's a little bit inflated at the moment because there are only six um, up on IMDb. But for me, I would say that this isn't a bad film, especially if you like werewolves. There could be a little bit more on the effects side of it, but what we get is pretty solid. So I actually came in as a 6 for this as my rating. And the next film that I'm going to talk about is David Lynch's Blue Velvet from 1986. This is actually the, I believe, third time that I've seen this film. But the last time here was the 4K restoration was being shown at the Gateway Theater. So I decided to go up there and to give it another rewatch. Um, as I kind of already said, this is from David Lynch from 1986. Um, he wrote and directed this. Um, this is technically, according to IMDb, a drama mystery thriller, but I think it goes dark enough into the horror realm where I can talk about it here. Uh, the synopsis is, The discovery of a severed human ear found in a field leads a young man on an investigation related to a beautiful, mysterious nightclub singer and a group of psychotic criminals who have kidnapped her child. It also stars Isabella Rossinelli, Kyle MacLachlan, and Dennis Hopper. Actually, this is probably the second David Lynch film that I had seen as I saw Eraserhead back in college. First time I saw this, I don't necessarily think I completely understood what I was watching, and but this one keeps getting better and better for every time that I check it out. Um, this has an interesting mystery where we have Kyle MacLachlan who comes home from college when his father is in the hospital so he kind of gets sucked into this mystery after he finds an ear out in the field and from there i just feel like this film really just kind of covers the loss of in um, innocence as we have frank who is played by dennis hopper who does an amazing job where he abuses dorothy and has her husband and son in has him kidnapped and she in turn kind of corrupt Jeffrey, who in kind of in turn tries to do the same thing to Sandy. This film is really kind of uneasy, and just through that, I just really enjoy that whole feeling that it kind of gives you. 
Now the IMDB rating for this is a 7.8 and I looked up on Letterboxd where it's a 4.1. For me, this actually has come up from the last time I'd watched it and I actually give this a 9 out of 10. Something else that I saw at the theater recently was the Japanese film Battle Royale from 2000. This is actually the second time that I had seen this as my friend from high school, um, Robert, actually had told me about it and then got a copy from one of his friends who had told him about it and they let me borrow it to check this out. Now this one is, according to IMDb, an adventure drama sci-fi thriller. It is directed by Kinji Fukasuko and it's from the novel from Kaoshun Taka Ami. As for the actors, we have it starring Tatsuya Fujiwara, Aki Madia, and Taro Yamamoto, which I probably gutted those, so I do apologize there, but moving on. The synopsis is, in the future, the Japanese government captures a class of ninth grade students and forces them to kill each other under the Revolutionary Battle Royale Act. Um, this currently has a 7.6 rating on IMDb and a 3.8 on Letterboxd. This is another one that, this is the second time around that I saw it, and it actually got better for me this second time seeing it, because I kind of had an idea of what I was seeing, and I'm not necessarily trying to experience everything for the first time. This is definitely an interesting look into the future, which could happen to, you know, our world if, you know, things like this got as bad as they did. But it actually makes it even more interesting that some of these murders are occurring because of like people being bullied or we see um, one young lady has some personal issues that kind of stem to make her be hiding that she's possibly psychotic and being in this type of environment allows them to kind of act out on their kind of darker fantasies. And it's kind of funny that this is kind of, like, I actually saw The Hunger Games after seeing this, and I can definitely see, no matter what um, Suzanne Collins says, that she definitely borrowed from this, probably just assuming that it would never come out, you know, maybe in the United States like it did. Uh, but it's kind of just an interesting concept for sure, and uh, like I said, definitely liked it even more this time around, and I would definitely recommend this one. Uh, my rating on Battle Royale, though, is an 8.5 out of 10. The next film that I'm going to cover is Eden Lake from 2008. Uh, this is a horror thriller uh, from the United Kingdom. It is written and directed by James Watkins, and it stars Kelly Riley, Michael Fassbender, and Tara Ellis. It currently is sitting at a 6.8 on the Internet Movie Database and a 3.3 on Letterboxd. Uh, the synopsis here is refusing to let anything spoil their weekend break, a young couple confront a gang of loutish youths with terrifying brutal consequences. Uh, this is actually a first time watch for me. I had it, added it to my Netflix list a while ago back when I was in college and just never had gotten around to it. It wasn't until I started listening to podcasts that I'd heard good things about this film so I definitely made sure that I finally checked it out. This has an interesting social commentary of the youths in United Kingdom and I guess it could technically be almost anywhere. Um, I'm not really sure if what is introduced early in the film is true about after an election that they actually had some sort of law put into place that was kind of trying to crack down on this a little bit. Um, if that's true it's actually kind of interesting to use that as a backdrop here and I love how this is introduced over the radio while the couple is heading to the place that they're going to vacation at 
because it definitely is kind of something that they don't necessarily pay attention to, but it's more for us as an audience. Uh, and the children here are definitely horrible. I have to say they had some good performances, though, because it definitely made me realize that they're kind of very distinct. And even though for their age, they actually do a pretty solid job. And we get to definitely see the um, mob mentality because of how strong of a leader that Brett is that he can really force him into doing things. And I mean, we see that he's also a psychopath and that he's having his girlfriend film them doing these horrible things. So that way, if they try to go against what he says, he can use that as blackmail against them. So I do have to give credit to um, Jack O'Connell, who actually plays Brett. And we also get to see that a lot of this for him seems to be nurture um, over nature in that his father is really mean to him and definitely you can see why he acts out and does the things that he does here as we are kind of given you know glimpse of his home life just a little bit and then going from there i really want to give a shout out to uh kelly riley and michael fassbender they played jenny and steve i thought they're both really good and it's actually interesting though is i knew fassbender long before seeing this film and it's definitely interesting that he kind of takes a secondary role here but he definitely shows that he can be a secondary actor and still kind of help out um, Jenny. But actually his inability to kind of let some of these things go is what perpetuates his problem, makes it way worse. But I do have to say I love that they made Jenny into a teacher and seeing that she kind of wants to help these kids and kind of can see that they're not necessarily – I think she kind of wants to look at the see the goodness in them, but we can see that they're not really that good of kids. And it's even bleaker what you see at the end where you can kind of figure out why they kind of act the way they do. But seeing Jenny as everything that happens to her and Steve, seeing her lose her humanity and become the person that she is at the end is both heartbreaking but an amazing performance from her. So I will say that this is definitely a great first-time watch. I had a blast for as much as I guess you can have fun with a film as bleak as it is, but I definitely gave this an 8.5 out of 10. And now I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer for the film that will be the feature review today. A shadow in the night. Footsteps on the stairs. The sound of death. Carl, I'm afraid. What am I supposed to do? Magda, get that film. It's a special infrared film. Get it and develop it. Hurry. strikes out of the void. No one knows why. 
mystery within a mystery. Carlo, the murderer could be anyone. Yeah. Why not? Why not me, for instance? Almost as if for a sacred rite. Oh, he killed Doris. Then Doris must have been killed by the same madman. Blood. To slake the thirst of a human beast. There's very little time to love. It must be done hurriedly. Desperately. Because for him, for her, for anyone, an atrocious death may be approaching. Slowly, fearfully, the minutes pass by, and one feels the breath of death on the back of one's neck. gave us a slip. An anguished shiver chills the blood. It's the moment of terror. Future, featured review today, I wanted to do something in honor of one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror have dubbed November as Italian Horror Month, so I decided that for this first podcast, I would actually go ahead and join in on the celebration of that, since they have done such a great job all these years that I've listened for having these type of shows. The film that I selected is going to be uh, strip Nude for Your Killer. This, of course, is from Italy in 1975, directed by Andrea Bianchi, who also came up with the story, as well as with Massimo Felicetti, who wrote the screenplay. This stars Eswidge Fenici, Nino Castelnuovo, and Femi Benusia. Not really sure why I try to do these pronunciations, but I hope I did that uh, good enough. The synopsis on IMDb was a bit too long, so I'm just going to go ahead and use When a fashion model dies during an abortion, a series of murders begin. Now, the movie actually starts with this abortion scene. We get an interesting use of blue light here to give it almost a surreal feel. Uh, the patient dies, and the doctor calls someone to help him move the body. After the opening credit sequence, He's murdered by a killer in a leather outfit and a biker helmet, which I have to say, I really did dig this look of this killer. It does something a little bit different with the black glove killer that you normally get in giallo films. It just kind of gives it almost a more menacing look to have this type of thing. Now, I'm pretty new to the giallo genre. I've seen 
most of the ones from Dario Argento, and I've seen um, a couple from Fulci as well. So I'm not necessarily sure if this is something we get quite a bit, but I did think this different take and like kind of look on it was something that you know I could really, it really kind of sparked my interest. The mystery of this is also pretty good. A way in the in my limiting viewing history of this genre is if I can guess the killer way too early, it kind of turns me off to it. But I have to say, this one had me guess it up until the end. And I will say, I didn't necessarily fall for the red herrings that the film tries to give to us. But it did still make it where I didn't know who the killer ended up being until the reveal. Something that I dug as well was how sleazy this one is. Pretty much every actress in this film gets nude in some way. But I will say they're all attractive though, so it definitely wasn't something that I was bothered by. And it actually also kind of makes sense, since this film is actually based in the fashion industry, which is kind of a little bit cutthroat from just different things that I've kind of heard or different movies that I've actually seen. Um, even going on top of that though... It's also interesting that Gisela, who owns the company that all of this is happening at, um, which is actually called Albatross Industries, which is also kind of a funny thing, knowing that this bird is with maritime lore. But not only that, but there's also the main one of our main characters, Carlo, who is portrayed by Castel Nuevo. They both lie to the police during their investigation, which I kind of thought was a little bit interesting since a lot of times that I've seen in these Giallo films, the police will be there trying to solve the case, but we normally have people who are actually non-police officers also helping along with the, doing their own type of investigation. So I did find it interesting that they both lie to the cops when they're interviewed uh, about what they think is going on. Now, getting a little bit back to the sleaze of this film, I did find that it kind of also brings a lot of misogyny to it. We get to see, like, Carlo, who in the beginning has this woman who kind of appears that they have a date that night, but he kind of just blows her off because he's definitely interested in going out with a woman that he sees walking past him in the pool. Now, don't get me wrong. The girl that he ends up seeing is way more attractive, but he lures her pretty much to the sauna and they end up having sex but he does it in such a negative way and she just seems to go along with it much like every other woman in this film which kind of feel is a little bit of an issue but I don't really know how Italy was back in the 70s so I can't necessarily speak on it too much there now getting kind of back to my review something that I thought was a bit off was our killer uses this interesting thing where they will turn the water faucets on. Now I like this idea, but the problem is that the killer wasn't at the crux of what these murders are stemming from. So how would they know that this happened? Like I said, it doesn't ruin the film or anything, but it's just something that kind of struck me while I was watching this. Um, I do feel also that the effects in here are lacking just a bit. Now, the blood looks good. Um, it's not really bright or anything like that, but it definitely has a darker look that feels realistic. And I think the wounds are fine. Not necessarily the greatest thing, but they definitely don't ruin anything. The issue, though, is that I feel the deaths themselves actually take place off screen. So it kind of makes me, for how sleazy it is, want a little bit more from that department. I did kind of think it's funny. I did see a couple people that were supposed to be dead where you can actually see that they're still breathing. 
something I don't know if they really caught on to or not, but, and it could also be seeing it now in more high definition. Uh, like I said, doesn't ruin the film, just something that kind of I noticed and it kind of struck me a little bit. Um, now I will say I did dig the soundtrack for this. There's a use of funk music in the opening credits as well as a little bit later in the film. Doesn't make it my favorite soundtrack to a film like this, but it was definitely something that I felt gave a different kind of vibe to it and something that I thought was really good. Um, and I also thought there's a good use of ambient sound. Uh, this kind of comes from where characters will be in a different room or a different floor and they can hear the faucet running. So I was kind of pulled in by that as it kind of makes it a creepier feel that you know and the character also knows that there is a killer in the house with them. Now, I'm not going to go into spoilers here, only because I don't feel that there's really a deep enough story for me to kind of delve too much into this. I mean, it's really just showing how you can't really trust anybody in the fashion industry and that you just have a ton of just despicable almost characters. Not that everybody is, but I mean, going back, I do feel that like Carlo is kind of a shitty character. And it's kind of interesting as well that... I feel like our main character is actually uh, Magda, who is portrayed by Fenich, and we really don't get introduced to her until about 20 minutes into it, and even with her, I feel like her character development is kind of weak in that she wants to be a model, but currently she is the assistant to Carlo, and her real kind of introduction scene is her stripping down naked, which great body but she's kind of diminishing herself because she'd much rather be a model and i do like that carlo explains to her though that her better career choice would actually be to go full-time as a photographer because after the beauty fades from a model they continue to work so i mean at least he kind of outside of degrading her constantly kind of is giving her some good career advice so that she's not going to be kind of hampered down there and then kind of going back to the issue that i was talking about why i'm not going to go into spoilers is the reveal of the killer is fine but the problem is that from what i've gathered in these giallo type films they kind of just rush through the reveal of who the killer is and why which i guess from what i've learned is that stems from psycho where at the end they have a psychiatrist or a psychologist or somebody in that type of field who just kind of goes through a quick explanation and kind of over explains everything and i that's where i kind of feel like in this it just kind of rushes through and explains why this character is doing what they're doing and i don't mind the reason that they're doing it it just doesn't feel like there's enough there for me to necessarily go into too much of a spoiler territory despite my issues with it though i definitely do think this is a fun film if you're into kind of a sleazy giallo film like I said, not great. Definitely has some issues for it. But I mean, I'm still thinking this is above average. Teetering on almost being, you know, good. So I would definitely come in on this one at a 7.5 out of 10 for sure. All right, I'm going to go ahead and end this review here. And what I'm going to go ahead and do is send you to um, one last musical break. And then I will close out the show.
All right. I want to thank you all for listening um, to my first episode here of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. Um, if you have any feedback, that would be greatly appreciated to kind of see what you guys liked and what didn't necessarily work for you. Um, so you can go ahead, if you want to send that via email, um, it's journeywithacinephile, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, you can also, if you could, uh, rate and review on iTunes. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Um, if you want to check out my written reviews, they are available on horrorreview.webnode.com you can also find them there as well as me on facebook under david michigan garrett jr or horror fans worldwide uh, there's also my twitter which is buckeye from mish um, where i'll also share all of my reviews and anything like that and also there's my instagram at david osu 87 uh, once again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Uh, David Garrett Jr. signing off.